973, there's Gary Newman with cars. I'm May Potts, and this rarely happens. There's Gary Newman with cars, and here's Gary Newman in the studio. Woo! <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank I'm you. very excited about this. I have to tell you a story about this. May Potts is celebrating a remarkable 40 years on air in Toronto radio this year with the icing on that career achievement, the 2023 Rosalie Award, recognizing Canadian women who've blazed new trails in radio, named for legendary CKLW Windsor music director Rosalie Tremblay. Currently heard in middays on Stingray's Boom 97.3 Toronto, Potts joins us on Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, to talk about her journey through the industry, its constant evolution, and working to exemplify Rosalie Tremblay's legacy. Hi, I'm May Potts, and boy, when I look back at uh, my career, how privileged and wonderful am I, but I certainly didn't dream this career for me. Um, I don't even know that I had the same vision that so many of my peers have from their youth, where they said, you know, I want to get into radio, and they listen to radio with that ear, you know, with that in mind. I, of course, grew up listening to the radio and loving it and had a huge passion for, for music. But I don't think I at any point thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Absolutely not. That wasn't what happened. What did happen was I thought maybe I wanted to get into acting like so many people, 17, 18, finishing high school. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I took a year off. I traveled a little. And then I did get into Ryerson for radio and television arts. <laughs> This is the bizarre thing. I tried to get into that program because I thought to myself, if I am going to pursue acting, I better have something a little bit more reliable to back up on, have as a backup. So maybe if I learn television production and some of those skills, that will work in my favor. And then I was in first year at Ryerson Radio and TV. And the first year at that point was simply radio, just a full year of radio. And I just clicked, it just something clicked. And I had a terrific teacher, Earl Toffings, who said, you know, you, you seem to have a natural affinity for this. Have you ever thought about maybe uh, pursuing this or, or, you know, joining the campus radio station? You should do that. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'll give that a shot. So I did. I joined the campus radio station. And quite frankly, that was it. I loved music. I fell in love with radio. And I can thank Earl Toppings for sort of seeing that my natural yakking abilities could be harnessed <laughs> to work in a, in a great radio capacity. And that's how I started into radio. So it was campus radio. Then I got, uh, after I graduated, it took a while, but a year later, I got a job at CKMW Radio 790, an AM station in Brampton. So I was still living in Toronto and I was commuting out to Brampton to work at this AM station. And it was down the hall from CFNY in the same building, 83 Kennedy Road South. They used to be sister stations. They had had changes of ownership, so they were no longer related. But nonetheless, I got to walk through the halls of CFNY on my way to CKMW, where I worked middays. And, you know, when you work at a small station, you get the, the benefit of doing everything. I was on air, I sold advertising, I wrote copy. It was wonderful because it gave me such a broad understanding of how the different, you know, components work. 
And then I did get laid off from there because they changed their format from being, you know, top 40 rhythm, radio, dance, music and R&B to going mostly multicultural and Italian. And I have no skills in Italian. So I ended up being out of work again. But I will say that in the couple of years that I was at CCAMW, I forged a wonderful relationship with many people at CFNY. And um, I often would even go down the hall to voice some spots for them. And um, I got to know the folks there, including the legendary Dave Marsden, who I owe a great deal to as far as the next uh, phase of my career, and to uh, David Hado, Hado, Geets Romo, who, when I was out of work after CCAMW, said to me one day, he called me up and says, you know, CFNY, Marston's looking for a swing announcer for overnights, Friday, Saturday overnights and some swing. And I said, really? So I quickly put together a demo tape and um, sent that in and uh, had an interview with Dave Marston. And long story short, I did get the gig. But my favorite story about all that is after the interview, when I was waiting to find out if I would get the job, I I had to give up an apartment and I had to move and I was looking for a new apartment. And when you're out of work, between gigs, as they say, people don't really want to rent an apartment to you. So I remember phoning and talking to his assistant, Leslie, and said, Leslie, has he made a decision yet? And she said, no. Not yet. And I said, okay. I said, I'm just waiting to hear because, you know, I'm looking for an apartment and it's hard to find something when you're out of work. Then all of a sudden I get this phone call like the next day from Dave Marston. And um, he says, I hear you're looking for an apartment. And I thought, okay, great. He's maybe got a lead on a great place for me to live. But he said, the next time somebody asks you in your application for an apartment, where do you work? You tell them CFNY. And oh my gosh, <laughs> what a dream come true. I mean, as far as a station to work for in the city at the time, that was my dream spot to land. And uh, I was so excited. And we chatted for a little while longer. And then I said, Dave, I got to go because I have to phone everybody I know and tell them that I got this job. (laughs) And uh, there I stayed for 14 years and I owe a lot to Dave Marsden. Another reason I owe him a lot is because he gave me some of my best advice when I was first starting out because you're, you're nervous and you're trying to find your way on air. And um, he basically just said, be yourself, always be who you are. And if you ever listened to CFNY back in the day, that's what, you know, was so special about that station. We were just a a whole host of different personalities and characters that were allowed to be who we are. And I think that served us well over the years. So I was at CFNY until uh, 2001. And I did make my way through various different positions at the station. Uh, I had hosted a show called Live in Toronto with Scott Turner, where we interviewed many artists. And that was a great experience. CFNY really was so artist-oriented that we did have that opportunity to do that a fair bit. And um, I also even had a brief uh, stint on the morning show. And then I landed in uh, what I call my beloved space, the midday show, and uh, had that from 93 to 2001. In 2001, as happens 
very frequently on radio, there was a change up. And uh, most of us announcers who were there were put in a position of looking for other opportunities. And they were kind enough to offer me the chance to stay within the company, but perhaps move into promotions or another area, sales or something. But I wasn't done with on air. I still loved on air. So I said, no, I think I'll, I'll think I'll just, you know, take the package and move on. And then before I even had the chance to do that, they launched a station called Mojo Radio, a talk format. And I was offered the magazine show there, two hours, noon till two. And that was May of 2001 they launched. And that was a whole new world for me, talk radio, because music radio, you always have that, you know, opportunity to throw to the song. You talk for a bit, but there's always the music. Talk radio, that net is gone. You have to keep the conversations going. You have to either keep going yourself or make sure your guests are engaged or you're getting callers. My total respect for people and hats off to those in talk radio. It's not an easy thing. And I did do that in 2001, of course, through 9-11. And that was, wow, what a learning curve for me because the Mojo magazine had up until that point been sort of lighter fare, a lot of sports talk, a lot of you know, lifestyle things. Mojo Radio was geared towards a male audience. So that's the sports talk that I'm referring to was very much a big part of it. But all of a sudden, I had to talk to people who were, you know, in the military. And in, it just was a whole different thing with as we all can remember with 9-11. And so I did last there until October of that year. And then I was let go. And um, I truly value that experience forever because it was so different to anything I'd ever done before. My next um, opportunity came when Rob Farina, uh, the program director from Chum FM, found out that I was between gigs and gave me a call. And I had uh, the opportunity to go to Chum FM, another great legendary station. I mean, already I'm just telling you how blessed I am with these with these great uh, chances that have been given to me. You know, th there was an insecurity, honestly, because I had come from, you know, a, a background that was very, I thought, maybe a little bit too off the mainstream for a station like Chum FM. But everybody there, all those wonderful, talented people, um, you know, Ingrid Schumacher and Gord James and, you know, the morning show there, Roger, Rick and Marilyn and all the people there. They just made me feel so welcome. I treasure my days there and I can't thank Rob Frina enough for reaching out and bringing me in to Chum FM. And I was there for eight years and I Loved every minute of it. It was great. Again, though, changes happen. Rob had also left. He was now with Astral, where, where they were launching a new station. And that is where I am now, Boom 97.3. And they gave me the opportunity to come to Boom, which I took partially because I didn't have a steady gig at Chum. Chum was great in that I was a swing announcer. I was in on the morning show when Marilyn was off. I filled in for Ingrid Schumacher on middays when she was off. And I had the incredible opportunity of doing interviews for the Chum Radio Network, you know, broadcasting across the country with all sorts of wonderful artists from Madonna to George Michael. Uh, it sort of it, it built upon the great opportunities I'd had to do with artist interviews at CFNY, like Depeche Mode and Lou Reed. So, you know, it just was a continuation of that, which I relished. And then, yeah, like I said, Time for a Change came to Boom 97.3, which launched in 2010. And I have been here since. And why I feel so 
great about Boom is that this station, which plays 70s, 80s, and 90s, is a reflection of me and my career, uh, which didn't really tick off in the 70s, but that's when I started at Ryerson, but definitely through the 80s and 90s. And I feel as though, you know, this music and this audience and I have basically passed this time together. And that relationship is pretty rare and wonderful to have in a major market like Toronto. So here I am at Boom 97.3, as happy as a clam. <laughs> I'm I'm going to come back to that. But you also have a really impressive voiceover resume, May. Do you want to take us through some of that work? Oh, absolutely. And that was also something I fell into. When I was working at CFNY, all of a sudden I got a phone call from someone who um, was working for an agency and they said, do you do voice work? And this was in the late 90s. I said, well, I mean, for the station, they said, no, no, like commercial voice work. I said, no, I don't have an agent or I haven't, you know, I don't haven't joined ACT or anything. And they said, well, you really should. And we have a spot, we have a client Campbell's and we think you'd be great. So I ended up auditioning for them. They loved it. They got me in touch with an agent. And before I knew it, I had one of the best voiceover agents in the city, Edna Kubiar, ETM Limited. And yeah, and I had a Campbell's commercial on television all of a sudden. And from there, it snowballed into many, many years of doing a lot of commercial voice work and then landing into a great gig with um, CTV at the time as their network voice. They usually like to keep at that time a female voice and a male voice for doing the network promos. And so I had that gig for several years as well. And uh, I continued with voice work. It has, uh, on on my own doing, slowed down, partially because uh, for a number of years, being on middays, it's hard to get to those auditions. They're usually during the day. Uh, so when I came to Boom, I sort of slowed down on my voice work a bit. And the sessions were often during the day. I must admit, with the pandemic, that changed again because all of a sudden the industry uh, reworked how they did work. And, and I guess I could pursue it a bit more than I have. Um, it's definitely something I should look at doing because I do enjoy, enjoy doing voice work. But lately, I haven't pursued it to the same degree as I did back then in the, uh, let's say, up to the, about 2010. I want to go back to your time coming up in the rock and roll radio space, because mm -hmm. I feel like you probably really earned this Trailblazer Award. Can you take us back to to those early days at CFNY and what it was like? Well, it was great because like I said um, just briefly in passing that we were very artist oriented and we did love to have artists come in and do interviews and we ran all over the place with our, you know, dat machines or cassettes or whatever the uh, <laughs> the technology of the day was uh, getting interviews. It, it really was a chance to, you know, hone that skill for me and I, I got to tell you, though, it's funny how these opportunities sort of present themselves. I was so nervous initially starting to do interviews. And again, you don't know what you're going to love until you sometimes do it. And once I got into it, it was one of my favorite things. Going back to, you know, when I was at Ryerson, just going back to my school, we had to do an interview, uh, you know, pick an artist and, and do a feature. And I'll tell you, my very first 
radio interview, it was for campus, was Bob Segarini. He had an album out called Gotta Have Pop. And I still remember going to Bemelman's on Bloor Street, meeting him and doing this interview and then coming back to the studio afterwards and putting it together with the music from that album. And that is when I went, wow, this is this is so, what a cool thing to do to create this 15 minute little feature with the artist and their songs. And to be able to carry that on when I got to, you know, CKMW and then CFNY was outstanding. With CFNY, we had the opportunity to speak to so many terrific artists who I regret not keeping more of those interviews. It's very funny when you're young, I guess, or maybe just where I was as far as my my thoughts of the future in radio, I never thought long or into the future. So I did all these great interviews and didn't save them. I have no idea where they've ended up. Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders, you know, like I said, Depeche Mode many times, uh, the guys from The Violent Femmes. And I don't know, this, the list goes on, but it was a, it was a great time and uh, certainly a lot of fun to talk to these who were then young artists starting out as well. You know, when I went to um, see The Pretenders, Chrissy Hind for the first time in, what, 81 at the concert hall, I just was blown away. She she was this rocking woman at the helm of a rock band. That was something so new for me to see. And then to have a chance to, to interview her as well. Just to think that, you know, all these decades later, we're still doing that she's still making records. I'm still talking on the radio. It's just, to me, that's just amazing. So were you one of the few women in the space then at CFNY when you started? Well, Liz Janik was there and so was Beverly Hill. So there were other women. And I always say this, I don't know that, um, you know, Ingrid Schumacher was already on the air at uh, Chum FM and, you know, Shirley McQueen, Q107. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of uh, Deanna Nason. There were, there were other women definitely that were there in the broadcast world. But, you know, those are the names I can like I said, I think I just mentioned almost all the ones I can think of. So the, the industry certainly didn't have a lot of women on the air back then. And that has fortunately changed a great deal over the decades. Definitely one of the few. And I will say that one of the benefits for me at that time, I think over men, was that I wasn't trying to sound like someone else. See, I think a lot of guys, when you think back, and maybe you'll agree with me, Connie, a lot of the guys back then, they had a expectation of what they were supposed to sound like. You know, they're supposed to have that big booming voice and that, that you know, radio jock voice. There wasn't a template like that for, for women because we really didn't have that many women that we had to sort of look up to. So we forged our way and made our own sound you know, in our own style, I think, which was great. I know you're participating in the upcoming CFNY documentary, but are there any stories you can let out of the vault now that some time has passed? <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of what stories. You know, I will say this, I'm very bad with remembering things. And I'm often, you know, reminded that I was at things that I don't remember even being. I'm going, oh, really? was I there? They go, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of what I could sort of divulge as far as a, a good story that's kind of crazy. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I do know, like, for example, one day Tori Amos was coming in, you know, she was going to be performing on my midday show. And 
unfortunately, if I remember correctly, the keyboard that she was supposed to have, there was an issue with that. And she also was diabetic, so she was having a sugar crash. So I just remember everything going into absolute mayhem as we were running around to get orange juice and chocolate bars for her and then calling up someone uh, at Long and Quaid downtown to quick to get another keyboard up for her. And that was one of the issues with CFNY back then. We were out at Kennedy Road South in Brampton. So everything for a, a lot of stuff was like a journey. You know, we the artists were playing in Toronto at Lee's or wherever. And we were often like dealing with the geography issue of trying to get things done in time. So I do remember that being challenging. And she was not happy until that microphone went on and then all of a sudden it was like ah she was such a pro and everything was fine and everything was smooth after that we got everything sorted out but the the tension that happened just leading up to that without the keyboard and with her crashing with the sugar thing it was just I still remember that as being quite chaotic <laughs> You have a reputation for being able to break through to the audience. And and I want to ask your opinion, because we're all abuzz right now about the use of artificial intelligence in content creation, including radio. I'm interested to hear whether you have any thoughts on this and its use in filling airtime like middays. You know what? I think that the biggest um, benefit of radio is the human connection. And that is what has kept us going, I think, all these years. The the downfall of radio has been predicted for decades, and yet it survived. And why? What has made us so different? I mean, if we're talking about music, people don't need us for that. You can stream music. You, you There's all this other stuff. I think really what sets us apart is the connection that we make as one human to another. So I guess I'm speaking from maybe a different perspective than someone else. Someone else might say they're fine listening to a created voice and someone who's not real. But as an audience person, I think I can tell authenticity and reality. And we need that. We need that connection. There's just something, for example, we just went through a day playing Gordon Lightfoot songs. Gordon Lightfoot passed away and he's a legend and people were moved by this and they wanted to connect. So they're going to call a robot? No, they called us. They called, we put them on the air. Even if I couldn't get all the calls on the air, I took the calls. I chatted with people. We connected. We shared something for a few moments before I had to go on air again. And and then we did share it on air as well with them. And I don't know if that is something that can be readily replaced, that kind of connection. I've spoken to Troy McCallum, your PD at Boom, before about keeping the classic hits format fresh. Is that a mm-hmm. challenge for you after four decades on air? No. And, and that surprises me perhaps as much as it may surprise you to hear that. <laughs> It doesn't get ever tiring to me or old in any way whatsoever. And the reason for that is beyond the music. It's the audience. They are so enthused 
about the music and their memories with it, their relationship with these songs. And so we can share that and talk about that. We ha- I have a, a feature that I do called Mixtape of You. And yes, many mixtapes have the same songs, but everybody has a different connection to that song and story associated with it. The other thing that I found, and even more so in the last few years, which is very exciting for me, is the number of younger listeners we have. We have a, an awful lot of teens and 20-somethings who didn't grow up with this music. Some of these songs were introduced to them by their parents, but they're discovering it for themselves. I can't tell you how many people are phoning me up and saying, okay, can you, I had a guy the other day, can you play Jukebox Hero by Foreigner? I said, sure, that's such a great sing-along song. He says, yeah, me and my friend really love to sing along to that one. And I thought I was talking to a, you know, an older guy. And then uh, I said, yeah, so you know all the lyrics. He goes, well, I do now. He goes, I had to look them up. I'm 19. I didn't know this song before, but I just love Foreigner. And it's like, this is what keeps it fresh for me too, is that maybe something that's old to us. And he said that. He says, I know it's an old song, but it's new to me. And I thought, yay. <laughs> That's perfect. So no, this never gets old. And it's thanks to our audience and to the fact that we don't really operate on being an oldie station. We're very much in the moment. Boom 97.3, we play older music. We play the hits from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But we are very much as people and as a station grounded in today and what's going on in our environment today, what kind of shows we're going to, what TV shows we're into, what events, you know, uh, what is happening that we should be aware of, like we just passed tax deadline day. We're, we try to be very current and aware of what is important in people's lives today. Do you have thoughts on the secret to longevity in this business? Obviously, you haven't been immune to layoffs But how much of it is just sheer perseverance? Perseverance. And I'm not, you know, I'm going to say that I'm I'm lucky in a lot of ways. I I don't for a second think that luck hasn't played into this and good fortune. But as my brother said to me, and I don't think that he created this saying, but I remember one time when I was saying that, oh, I'm so lucky. He goes, yeah, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I have always worked hard. I have a great work ethic. And that came from, you know, my parents who, you know, came to Canada from Estonia with like just you know, 50 bucks in their pocket and they started their lives here. And this is a story of so many immigrants. And I think immigrant children, we we inherit a lot from their experience. We were, you know, obviously given great opportunities here that they didn't have. And, and I guess we never take for granted that. So I do feel very lucky, but I also know that any opportunity I've been given, I have worked very hard to get and to keep and I'm grateful for it. So maybe that plays a little bit into my my longevity. I, I don't want to say that because I know there's so many people who are the same. They're talented, they work hard, and it hasn't worked out for them. So that's why I do say luck is a part of it. You've been involved with the Radio Trailblazers community for a while, but what does it mean for you to be recognized this year with the Rosalie Award? Well, so much. I was... Uh, blown away and greatly honored when uh, Nancy Brown Dackel called me to tell me that I would be getting the award this year. And 
partially because it just timing wise, it just felt so beautiful. This is my 40th year as a professional broadcaster. So not counting my campus years, but from making a living in this industry 40 years this year. So it seemed just such a beautiful little touch on that. But the Rosalie Award means a lot because of who Rosalie was and what a wonderful woman. And and I really value why this award um, is given out. I mean, Rosalie was given an opportunity and uh, through hard work and passion, she took that job to the next level. Her compassion and her respect for her audience and for artists not only created success for her station, but success for her and and the artists as well. That award means a lot to me because I would like to think that I exemplify some of those wonderful attributes of Rosalie Trombley. Is there a thought you want to close on, May? Closing thoughts are ones of, I guess, gratitude, one of gratitude to not only the Radio Trailblazers, but to um, my family who have joined me on this great radio journey, um, my co-workers, and there's been so many of them and mentors uh, that I can't name them all here, but they've been there with me throughout these years. And really the listeners, new listeners definitely, but also the ones that have joined me, some of them from my very first radio gig. So that's pretty special. And um, yeah, what a great industry. And I really understand that Although it's changing, you know, and as things always do, it always seems to be such a great place to land radio here in Toronto. I I will always love it and hope to continue to be a big part of it. Thanks so much for making time to join us, May, and congratulations on your award. Thank you so much. I'm very pleased and it's been a delight speaking with you, Connie. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to share. Thank you. Potts will receive her award at the upcoming Radio Days North America event during Canadian Music Week in June. For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Teeson. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.